From Philadelphia Young Playwrights, this is Mouthful. I'm Trine Nuri. Every week, we'll be having a complicated conversation with a young person about the things that matter to them, things that they have written about and shared on stages across the city. And then we'll go out into the community and talk to teens, adults, experts, anyone who can broaden the conversation. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, that's how we start every single show. We're so excited to have you here for our second ever live show. So basically what we're doing here today is bringing what normally lives in a digital space into one room with all of the people at one time and with a live audience. We're on set of the 2018 Mouthful Monologue Festival, which is essentially the culmination of a very long process that starts with students writing monologues in classrooms um, and then submitting them. And then 18 were chosen as winners from more than 600 submissions from 29 schools. That festival runs through Saturday. There are three more performances. They're noted in your program, um, but it's quite the show. And we would love to have you out for that as well. One of those monologues is called Pressing My Issues, written by Brittany Blythe. And that's the one that we're going to talk about here tonight. So this week, we have a complicated conversation about teen resilience. What does a typical day look like for a high school student? For some, their days begin as early as 5.30 in the morning and run all the way until midnight. Mixed with classes, homework assignments, projects, part-time jobs, family issues, and social pressures, teens face a lot. But high school students are young, right? And they can handle a little pressure, right? Well, sometimes teens who are juggling so many responsibilities are actually suffering in silence. In the monologue, Pressing My Issues, written by Brittany Blythe, we meet one teen who's managing a very busy schedule. Let's listen to the monologue performed by Abdul Cisse. All this furthering my education makes me not want to attend college. I mean, between applying for the FAFSA, scholarships, grants, and then the actual schools, it just makes the whole process so complicated. Like, I'm exhausted as soon as I open up my laptop. Like, do I really want to go to college that bad? Maybe I'd be happy being a bum. Maybe this is so hard for me in particular because I just have so much on my plate right now. I mean, having to keep up with grades, having a social life, having a job eating, sleeping, and I have to find time to plan out my entire future? I mean, that's a lot to expect from a guy like me. I mean, does no one else understand the irony of being a teenager in America? I mean, during the time when our hormones are, are out of control, we make impulsive decisions that could ultimately fuck up our entire future. And then the homework. My goodness, don't even get me started on the homework. Like, no offense to any of you teachers out there, but I think that there should be a rule for the first three months of school. All the seniors shouldn't have any homework. <laughs> like, I'm not even trying to be smart or anything, but I feel like you teachers don't understand. Or maybe you do understand, but just don't care how much that homework takes a toll on us students. You know what? To help you understand, let me give you a glimpse in a day of my life. Okay, so it's Monday morning, and I wake up at the crack of fucking dawn, half dead because I was up all night doing, wait for it, homework. And I wasted my time on that shit, too, because this dude first period, and I didn't even get it done. Oh, well, I guess I'll just turn in what I did complete in for half credit, which is still a fucking F. Ain't that some shit. Anyways, I get up, get dressed, wash my face, brush my teeth, 
And although it's 6.30, I know my bus is going to be driving down the block at 6.33. I'm not leaving my house until the coffee's done brewing because that shit keeps me alive. Like, it's sad that I'm actually dependent on the caffeine to keep me awake in school. Anyways, it's 6.34, and I'm running for the bus like always. 7 o'clock, and I made it to school in one piece. First period, bell. Second period, bell. Third period, fourth period. Then it is lunch. Finally. Me and my friends, we take advantage of the free time. You know, we eat, we laugh, we run around outside like we're five again. Then it's back to work for the last two periods of school. Final bell, meaning it's time for me to go home and chill for a good 15 minutes before I have to get ready for work again. Working a 4 to 11 at Chick-fil-A, just great. Now, if you've been, you probably had a good experience. And you probably felt special when we greeted you at the door with a, Welcome to Chick-fil-A, how may I serve you? Or when you say thank you and we reply with, my pleasure. Well, I'm here to say that all that shit is fake. (laughs) Like, why would it please me to serve anybody? And all that smiling shit? Like, I'm not a robot. You can't program me to be pleasant all damn day. Like, it doesn't work like that, boss. Whatever, uh, I'll get through the shift. It's 1125 and my boss is kind enough to drop me off back home. 12.15, I'm finally fed and out the shower and comfortably settled in bed before I realize that I have two tests to study for, a five-paragraph essay, and two chapters of a book to read, and that's just off the top of my head. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm so mentally and physically tired, but I can't stop laughing at the fact that I'm not getting up to do any of that work. Four hours later, I wake up having to suffer through it all over again. Here with us tonight is writer Brittany Blight. Brittany is a senior at Lincoln Hall High School in Northwest Philadelphia. And also joining us is Kay Carter. She's a junior at Ben Franklin High School. Let's give it up for Brittany. Hi, Kay. Hi. So, Brittany, what's your reaction when you saw your monologue being performed live tonight? Um, I was very pleased with um, the performer and the audience. I didn't think I was going to get their response. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the motivation um, as to why you chose to write about this topic. Um, If I'm being honest, like initially it was for a grade, but um, I mean, I just vented on paper, really. It was just an outlet for me. Are you going through some of the issues that the character is going through in the monologue? No, a lot of the problems I was going through now is like alleviated a lot more. Like, it's just, I don't even, it's not even the same. I'm not even the same person right now, really. So the character is addressing the teacher, right? Or is there, is the character addressing a parent? Um, all authority, like over me. Teachers, parents, um, managers, at work, everything. Do they understand, like, all of the pressures that you are going through with the homework and having to work and family and life at high school? N- no, because they only see me for 
they'll only see me at work or they'll only see me at school or they'll only see me at home. So it's just like they don't really they don't really know what I go through throughout the whole day. Do you think that they add some stress to you? Oh yeah, of course. Yes. Like how so? <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like they don't really take how I'm feeling into consideration all the time when asking me to do things. And that's what everyone, not just like home, but school too and work, everyone. It's just like be considerate sometimes, you know. Do you think that maybe sometimes they just are pulling out like the best in you, maybe? Um, Something like that. Like I just feel like I give them all I got and it's just like you're still asking me for more. So, Kay, what are your thoughts on this? Do you um, do you work and go to school and do all that stuff? Yes, much like the character in the monologue, I I juggle so many things throughout my day. I work two jobs. Oh. I take care of my little siblings because they look up to me. I'm the only one they look up to. They they like mommy and they like daddy, but KK is the one they can really like con- confide into, talk to, la- like make them laugh. And then school, um, geometry collides with English 4, and that's colliding with chemistry work, and I'm, like, equations are just all in my head. And it's, it's just it's so much. It's like a, a hum- it's like a humongous Rubik's Cube that I, I, I am yet unable to solve. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, 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 I say it's horrible, but it's not horrible. It's conditioning me. But, but like she was saying, like, they don't really see, like, People, when I tell them I have two jobs, they give me accolades. Like, good. I'm just like, okay, but it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to keep up two jobs. And the type of jobs, two catering places, it's good, but it's not good. You have to always, like, everyone who are, are, is in the hospitality, we all know that the customer is always right. No matter what, the customer mm-hmm. is always right. And, and, and a lot of times that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, not yes. always. <laughs> not. We had this one lady, she... She was really angry that her she was the the mother of the groom. She was really angry that the wrong people sat at the table. So she went on a flying rampage, start throwing glasses off the table. She's throwing ugh, napkins that took so long to fold. <laughs> she starts throwing those away. I'm like, oh my god! So I'm 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 personally internally panicking, and she's just raging. She's just a storm. But at the end of the day, she was right. So we had to conform to those needs, and 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 uh, that was a busy day. It was a horrible day, but yeah, no one really. I don't like as teenagers. No one really like no one sees what you try to portray, basically, and no one sees the pain that's truly re- within. So in that crazy stressful situation, how did you like compose yourself? How did you like detox from that moment? Oh, I, I literally walked away while I hear glasses like glasses behind me just shattering, and I'm just like I'm going to straight to my manager. Just some crazy lady out there, and she's super duper angry, and we need to stop that. So, um, are you going to stay in the hospitality field? Definitely. You will see Christina Carter owning two, owning multiple businesses: one that's catering, another one that's film production. Just wait, just wait, okay? <laughs> just wait. So, so Brittany, what are your plans after high school? Um, I'm go- I plan on going to college and um, pursuing a nursing degree. Were you applying for school when you wrote your monologue in the fall? Yeah, I I was, like, putting it off because just, like, all this stuff I had to do in order to apply. Just, like, nobody, like, is even helping me out for real. Like, they'll give you instructions, but when you need help, it's just, like, 
do what I said. It's just like, it's not working. So <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Right. On top of work and school. Yeah. Did you ever have to stay up late after work and work on a college essay? Of course. But usually I would just fall asleep mid, mid writing. So it's just like, whatever. <laughs> Is that why things are easier? Because you are done applying? It's a really stressful moment. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's just like, I was really so stressed because I couldn't really see what was ahead. I'm just like focused on what's now. And it's just like, it's too much. But I just got to like, Take one step at a time, and it gets easier after a while. And you graduate in a couple months, right? Yeah. So do you feel like you can sort of see the finish line? Yeah. It can't come quick enough, really. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm so ready. I remember that feeling for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So you both are upperclassmen. What (laughs) advice would you give to freshmen and middle school students preparing for high school? Mm, Not that I'm a pro or anything, because I still am figuring it out. But, um... Like, focus on the academics. Don't focus on friends. Don't focus on boys or girls or whatever. Just focus on yourself and focus on your friends, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> um, Basically the same. A lot of a lot of eighth graders, I remember me in eighth grade, I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to go to high school. I thought it was just like High School Musical. My God, I thought Troy yep. <laughs> Walton, my, my, my. Um, he was going to walk through the door, and he's going to head over. Like, oh, my God. I, I thought it was exactly as what they like to show on TV. It's nothing, nothing. I cannot stress nothing enough. It's nothing compared to what they show on TV. High school is serious. It's one of the most serious. That's not a word. But um, um, one of the most serious times in your life. And def- don't don't take advantage of it. Don't just, as soon as you hear that one cool thing don't don't do it don't do it like the first thing that comes to your brain like oh we're going here skip skip class and do this don't don't skip class because they don't even know how how much they need every moment of that place so yeah basically like she said um friends friends they come and go do not harbor on anyone um same thing as your crushes are the people you like don't try to do all crazy things just to impress them just for them to glance at you because at the end of the day, you make you. No one else should make you. So, yeah. So. Some good advice. And what advice would you give to parents listening and teachers who are listening? Um, like, just let up a little bit because it's like you was a teenager <laughs> too. So, like, just chill out. <laughs> yeah, so true. Uh, for me, it, for me, it's nothing. It's like I have come from a two-parent household, and that's kind of rare nowadays, but it's nothing like a good dad talk or a good mom hug. So always prove that you're there for your children, no matter what. Um, but, yeah, like she said, try to take a load off. Like, don't be just, like, just nagging. Like, that that goes, like, oh, my God, that's that's horrible. Like, that, that brings our morale down. It brings our confidence down. We, we don't want to just, like, do this, do that, and then you're getting angry for literally no reason or for whatever reasons you have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. So that's, yeah, show them that you love. Show them that you care no matter what. Show them that what they're doing is getting appreciated. Um, yeah, all that. Love it. That's awesome. Thank you so much to Brittany and Kay for joining us. Mm-hmm. 
We're going to be joined now by Erica Morris. She's an educational consultant. You might remember her from last week's episode, Pretension Detention. Tonight, Erica is joined by Dr. Ken Ginsberg, a pediatrician specializing in adolescent medicine at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and a professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. So please welcome Erica and Dr. Ken. So, Dr. Ken and Erica, what are some of your reactions um, to the monologue and what Kay and Brittany were talking about? My first reaction is that I'm devastated that it's not really like High School Musical. (laughs) We're not singing in the hallways. (laughs) The first reaction that I have, the first truthful reaction is I love teenagers so much, so, so much. And... The reason is because of how honest they are, how real they are, when you listen to them. And if we could back up for a minute and not have had the privilege of listening to people tell their truth and just think, what are the myths out there? The myths, kids, they think they're invincible. Kids, all they care about is themselves. Kids, you know, they're self-centered, they're a selfish, all of these things are complete and total untruths. And when we have the opportunity to really hear who people are, it allows them to be themselves. You know, let's even think about the monologue. It's so powerful, and part of it is telling the truth while sort of pushing someone away. Like some of the language is your incredible truth while actively using language that pushes someone away. And that's where so many adults shut down and lose the opportunity to listen. Because if you really listen to the truth, you hear a young person, not who doesn't care, not who's self-centered, but who cares so much that it hurts. And when we create spaces like that for people to talk, we'll hear who they are. And then that positions us to be the kind of adults and the kind of parents that you said you need. People who are really there. People who love you. People who see you as you deserve to be seen. Not based on what your behavior might be or what you might be producing, but as you are. And that's what I heard. What about for you, Erica? So we have to debunk these um, myths. What else do um, educators and teachers need to do? I think it's interesting that, you know, we have it just seems like the same cycle of like the same the parents that are pushing their students or their children to be, you know, we want to push you forward so that you you can go further than we went or they were teenagers too at one point hating their parents for pushing them as well. So it's interesting how the cycle continues. But I think um, that we, I think as teachers, I I taught for close to 13 years. And um, I think one of the things that happens is that we kind as a teacher, um, I think you kind of get stuck in trying to do the most for your students, trying to get the most out of your students. Um, and I think while we're doing that, we forget that we're doing things. We think we're doing things for our students, and sometimes we end up doing things to our students. And I think one of the things that we, we could do that I think as teachers, one of the things I think helps is, is help students to be able to figure out how to, you know, slow down instead of move quickly, um, change the notion of, being afraid to fail because actually I honestly believe that failure is one of the it's one of the secu- one, it's one of the most it's one of the ways you can really be successful like that's a lesson you're not ever going to 
you're never going to forget it. And it gives you a chance to basically repair something that you may have done the wrong way. We don't teach our students that. We, we teach them to, that failure is something that's the worst thing that can happen. Failure is going to be the end. Of, like, we make everything be an end-of-the-world situation instead of, like, how are we going to learn from this? Let's stop for a minute. What are you thinking about right now? How are you, you know, and we end up, like, roboticizing this, pro- this process of spending time with our students instead of trying to figure out how to teach them how to, you know, intrinsically want things because they want them or um i don't know i just you know one of the things i'm, I'm doing this week is i'm i'm working as a need indeed um community member so i'm working with a fourth grade class that has done some research on um like abuse and trauma and so i'm coming in there to help them work on resiliency like that's that's the point which is kind of interesting because we kind of talk about resiliency with this monologue but anyway the thing is i'm teaching fourth graders how to think about their thinking. I'm teaching them brain breaks. And I'm, I'm kind of like, it's interesting to me that um, I'm teaching these students ways of coping that don't even have to, you know, they're, they're things that you want children to be anyway, caring for each other, thinking about each other. But it's just, I was thinking if we spent more time teaching students how to be a little bit more mindful and be a little bit more, um, ch- like change the way that we, we force students to think about success, I don't know. That's what, that's what this kind of makes me think about. Right. I agree emphatically with literally <laughs> everything that Erica just said. I think that in general when we're talking about whether it's um, uh, parents or teachers or any caring adults and we're thinking about how to be supportive to young people, we have to begin imagining them. Stop looking at them when they're 17. Because mm-hmm. when you look at them at 17 and you're only talking about where they're going to be in high school, you're asking them to run a sprint. And when you're running a sprint, it's too scary to fall down because you lose the race and you'll trip the guy next to you to get to the end. So we want our young people to be running marathons. We want to look at young people. And what I see is I imagine 35-year-olds, right? I imagine, are they going to have the traits in place so that they're going to be successful 35-year-olds? Meaning compassion, Mm -hmm. caring, hard work resilient, creativity, honoring and attention to authentic diversity, being able to take constructive feedback. These are the kind of things I want. And to kind of riff off of what Erica said, the importance of failure. People who are hugely successful are not good at everything. People who are hugely successful are good at something. And the way you learn what you're great at is by trying hard at everything and watching the results. You know, some things you're not going to have to work very hard at, and it's going to come really naturally to you, but you're not interested. That's a freebie. Take it. Life doesn't give you a lot of them. Take it. <laughs> all right? Then there are going to be other things you work really hard at, but you're, you know, um, you're loving, and when you get something wrong, you want to just learn more. That's going to be your career. There's going to be other things that you're going to work really hard at, and you're really going to have fun doing it, but you're not great, but you have fun. That's going to be your hobby. There's going to be other things you're going to work hard at and you're never going to be good at and you don't enjoy. Forget about them. It's this last piece that creates so much anxiety for kids Mm -hmm. and that makes them feel like they can't fail. Failure is what allows you to learn where you're going to rise to your heights. Mm -hmm. As a teacher, how do you balance um, getting to know your student, getting to know their strengths and their weaknesses maybe, and encouraging them with those, you know, 
in those directions. Like mm-hmm. maybe you should start a business. Maybe you should go to college. Maybe you're the athlete. How do you do that as a teacher? Um, I think that you just do it. It's just, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I mean, I think you, you start off trying to look at like, what do your students love? What are they good at? And you also want to bring your own stuff in there. Like I, I, I mean, I'm, this is probably gonna get me in trouble because my I work in the field of post secondary access, but I don't think college I don't think a four year degree for your like regular college degree is for every person. And I think that one of the things we do in society is push people to like that's what you're gonna do, and the, and then you might be able to do something else that you want to do once you've done that. But if you don't do if you don't do the four year degree and and graduate from college, then anything else you do is not going to be considered successful. So I guess my thing is I always thought about trying to figure out, um, trying to find, trying to let my students see that what they want to do with their lives has a lot to do with what they love and what they're good at. So for example, um, you know, I had when I was in fourth grade, my tables had. Um, all these Philadelphia universities. Like I didn't have table one, table two, or green table, or red table. I had, when I had fourth graders, I had like Cheney University and LaSalle and, and you know, all these Philadelphia, you know, all these Philadelphia university area, Philadelphia area universities. And then when I started teaching eighth grade, it dawned on me that I wasn't, I was more, I wasn't as interested in teaching them how to get to college as much as I was interested in teaching them how to be better people. Like that, that was my goal. So when they got to eighth grade, I didn't have the university tables anymore. I had um, Adinkra symbols. And so the tables, like one table had like, there were four different symbols and each symbol means something. And so I was, that's what I wanted my students to focus on. Like what, what the symbols represent, how they focus on community, how they focus on life. And, and, and I feel like to me, that was the path for them. Like, what do you want to do with your life? But what kind of people do you want to be? And then mix that with eighth graders transitioning to high school is like totally well, it's different cra- social it's, scene too. Brittany, your monologue is like every eighth grader I've ever, when I was teaching eighth grade, I don't know if people know how Philadelphia high school, public high school situation works. I'm not going to get into it. But I am going to say that I taught eighth grade. And eighth graders in Philadelphia have to apply to get into these high schools. And right. they have to apply to get into special select high schools. And special select high schools are the high schools that the students are told they want to go to. So that's like additional pressure. Oh my gosh. No, these kids like it is full it's not, it's beyond I I don't know how they handle it. And I actually was really worried about my students. I actually stopped assigning things in 8th grade. That's right, my principal wherever you are now. I I stopped. And um I changed deadlines for them and I started having like I just I saw them falling apart. And so this monologue, to me, is not any different. The only thing that's different is that the eighth graders, I hope they're not out at 1130 at night. I hope they're, you know, but they're up and they're worried and they're applying to, they have the same type of pressure of like, am I going to get into the school? The essay has to be written. Did I have, was I suspended in fourth grade? Is that going to come up and keep me from getting into my school? Which it would. Um, So everything that you talked about is like, we have, you know, seventh and eighth graders that are feeling that same pressure in school. Right now, somewhere in Philadelphia, and um, that's what's upsetting to me. So you think you get past this gauntlet, and then here comes. Did you have to do the high school application process? Was that yeah? Did did it did did all that stuff? Did it bring back your your memories of like seventh grade application process and what happens if you don't? It's it's not right. It's not. <laughs> they shouldn't have to deal with that at that age. I I was really upset about it. I remember crying in one of my classrooms. My students. 
were getting these letters that said they weren't being accepted and they, you know, they, they, they didn't get it and they couldn't understand it. And I just remember being so overwhelmed with trying to explain to them that they shouldn't have to be applying to go to a good school in their city. Like they should be this, their neighborhood high school should be a good high school. And I was trying to do the big, you know, I was just so upset and they were like, we were upset too, but we didn't expect you to be. But that's, you know, that's how serious it is to me. Like, cause they were falling apart. They were just in their like not even in, in high school yet. But I'm sure that made them feel like, oh, my teacher, Miss Morris cares about me. I was, I was teacher Erica. Oh, teacher Erica. Okay. <laughs> high school. And it's weird now if I'm like anywhere, I hear teacher Erica still to this day. So I think I'll always be that. But I think they knew I loved them, but they knew I loved them anyway. I mean, I'm all about it. I'm all about, I, lo- I want to teach my kids math, but I, I love my kids. I've never had a kid in my class that I couldn't love. I, I mean, I mean, I've always liked them but I always loved them. It was never hard to find something that I loved about all of them, every single one. Could we riff on that? Because the importance of that statement is literally everything. When you're talking about resilience, Mm -hmm. what you're talking about is that the most important thing is that a young person has at least one adult, more is better. It's great Mm -hmm. if you have mommy and daddy and teacher Erica, (laughs) all right? But an, an adult who... Um, believes in you without condition Mm -hmm. and holds you to high expectation. And the biggest mistake you can make is that high expectation is about grades or it's about scores. That's not what high expectation is. Mm -hmm. High expectation is I see you. I know who you are as a human being, the depth of your goodness, and that's what I support you to be. Mm -hmm. That's what love is, and it's so true. It's very different than like. You don't have to like everybody, (laughs) but seeing someone as they deserve to be seen, that's powerful. And and the other major point that I would want to make to riff off of that is you you started the question with what should adults do? Mm -hmm. Who should adults be? Number one, adults should understand that kids are the experts in their own lives, right? And what adults try to do is jump too quickly to say, I have the solution. Why? Because I'm old. (laughs) But if you don't understand what people's lives really are, and especially if you look at teenagers and think their lives are too simple or they're self-centered, then you know nothing. But if you have the core principle that says people are the experts in their own lives, even when they're seven, Mm -hmm. and my job is to listen, because when I listen, I will hear. And then I can take on my role as an adult. My role as an adult is to shape, to guide, not to tell you what to do. And that's how you're going to have the most successful people. And one more thing. Listen to the stress that Erica, teacher Erica, <laughs> described. All right? Teacher Erica. Yeah. What? It's just, it's, no, it's just funny that I... But, but, <laughs> and listen to what was um, uh, described there in terms of the monologue. Well, guess what? People can't learn when they're stressed. Exactly. People can't learn when we're stressed. So to stress people out about being perfect, about being all things to all people, and then say, now calm down and study, (laughs) it's physiologically impossible, which is why another thing that adults need to learn to be is radically calm. Mm -hmm. Even if you're faking it. I'm faking it when I'm radically calm. But what I'm doing is I'm giving young people a space. So as you may know, I also work with homeless um, youth through Covenant House Pennsylvania. So I work with young people in crisis, and my goal is to have them be seen as they deserve to be seen and to give them the gift, the gift of radical calmness. 
because the same young person who's so reactive when they're stressed is also the most compassionate human being on earth oh, when yeah. they're calm. Sure. And when we just create that space, kids rise. And then they solve their own problems. So we don't normally have the benefit of having young people in the room at this point in our episodes. <laughs> and given everything that was just said, which is a lot, admittedly, if either of you have anything that you'd like to say and add to the conversation, we'd love to have you come back up and respond. And if not, that's absolutely zero pressure. Um, but I'm just realizing as we're we putting stand more here, pressure on them. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I mean that. There's no pressure whatsoever. But you know, we're, we're talking about young people and giving them a platform and listening to them. Um, and we are so glad that we got to hear from you already. But if you, anything jumps out to you, if you want to come up and and respond or add, have the final word, we'd love to give it to you. And if not, by all means, you've already done enough by being here and, and participating in the conversation. Awesome. That's perfect. That's a perfect answer. I had to take advantage of that opportunity. Normally we're sitting in an editing room at this point going like, okay, and now this other conversation and we don't get the chance to have the young person respond again. Um, yeah. Any final words from either of you? Just use the space to rethink. Mm -hmm. Hear the monologue. Hear it spoken by mm -hmm. Abdul, written by Brittany. Hear the monologue and understand that the words that people say at first may not represent all that is going on in their life. And we will only learn when we get out of their way and take our proper place as listeners. Well, thank you, Dr. Ken Ginsberg and Erica Morris for joining us tonight. You're welcome. If you're a young person with a busy schedule, let us know how you make it all happen. If you're a teacher or a parent, what are you doing to support the young people in your lives? Send us a tweet at Mouthful Philly. I'm Trinae This is Mouthful. Thanks for listening. Mouthful is produced by Lisa Nelson-Haynes, Trinae Nuri, and Mitchell Bloom, that's me, for Philadelphia Young Playwrights. PYP is an arts education nonprofit that taps the potential of youth and inspires learning through playwriting. Mouthful is edited by yours truly. Original music for Mouthful was created by Ill Dutes. To join the Ill Movement, head on over to illdutes.com. That's I-L-L-D-O-O-T-S dot com. For episode extras and more information, visit mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. That's mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Bonus points if you write a review. Mouthful is a production of Philadelphia Young Playwrights.